This podcast may contain content that is not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. If you are 17 or younger and wish to educate yourself about sex and relationships, you should visit scarletine.com. That's scarletine with one T. Hey, I'm Alicia, your non-monogamous relationship coach. Welcome to the podcast where my friends and I chat about our relationships, enthusiastic non-monogamy, polyamory, swinging, kink, and our lives. You'll get a candid peek into what makes it worth it to live life outside the box. And in case you're still wondering, nope, we're not monogamous. Hey, 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 welcome. If you're feeling helpless and overwhelmed trying to feel and understand compersion, despite all of the communication and empathy and self-awareness efforts, then you're not alone. From feeling jealous to competing with your partners, other partners, a lot of people feel like compersion is just this impossible thing, or maybe not even real. Don't believe that. Today, I am introducing Marie Tuin, a dating and relationship coach with a passion for understanding the intricacies of non-monogamous relationships. And she's a PhD researcher on compersion. She's studied this. Her experience with questioning the social norms around monogamy led her to exploring alternative relationship dynamics and conducting research to help others find harmony in their own relationships. You're going to hear so many good tips around like metamors and compersion, how to overcome your jealousy and and experience compersion and 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 what that even means. And also, if you are one of our Patreon supporters, uh, patreon.com slash not monogamous, you're going to hear her just the tip behind the scenes content where Marie and I are going to dish about a really sexy practice that you can do with your partners. Enjoy. Well, I think we're already recording. Yeah, but I was just recording on the the other thing. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. So we're here. We made it. We're doing this this thing, this podcast thing. <laughs> and welcome. I really appreciate that you're here and talking to us. Fantastic. So let's start with, well, why don't I do this? Why don't you um, tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and and how you became interested in uh, the concept of compersion? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And so I'm primarily a dating and relationship coach. I work with people one-on-one who are either single and dating or in a relationship and wanting support with that. And I, I'm also a compersion researcher. So a few years ago, I did a PhD and my dissertation um, was a study on the topic of compersion with non-monogamous folks. And I came to that topic because I've always been super uncomfortable with mononormativity, which is a big word that means that Monogamy is assumed to be the only valid and respectable relationship choice Um, from, you know, just remembering like high school and college and starting to date people and feeling that this whole um, system of like, okay, well, when you, when you like someone, you have to only be with them. And 
with nobody else, it just never landed for me. It just mm -hmm. always felt like this foreign thing. And so I got intrigued from a pretty young age in the communities of people that did things differently and that did openly love and engage intimately with more than one person at a time. And, you know, over the years, I've engaged in those groups and you know, it's not easy in either paradigm, really, to conduct yeah. relationships. But I wanted to know how really successful non-monogamous relationships um, really evolved and how they were structured and what people did differently in them. So that's why I decided to eventually do some empirical research on that topic. And compersion felt like this really great um, way to kind of build a roadmap of like, okay, what, what circumstances need to be in place for people to experience compersion? Because they obviously don't always experience it. No one experiences compersion 100% of the time. And it can be a really good barometer for when it's really working in harmony. Yeah, yeah. Can you for people who aren't, um, aren't familiar with the term, can you describe what compersion is? Yes, yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> Let's backtrack <laughs> to the basics. Um, so compersion is, in very simple terms, feeling happy for and with somebody else's joy. It's mm. wholeheartedly participating in someone else's good fortune and, and happiness. Mm. And what I found through my research is that it can take a few different flavors one is the emotional and embodied experience of like, wow, like I'm actually really feeling this empathic embodied sense of your joy. But it can also mean it's an attitudinal way to participate in your joy. Like, oh, I am so happy that you're experiencing this good, um, you know, relationship with someone else. I'm not getting a contact high out of it, but I all overall interpret it as a positive event and I'm supportive of that. So yeah. the word compersion was born out of polyamorous communities to describe that sense of shared joy we can have for our partners when they're happy with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I have always uh, from very early on, ex like have, have identified as a very jealous and possessive person. And I remember, uh, I think we've been non-monogamous for about 10 years now. And it took a solid like five years for me to ever experience compersion. Mm. Like it was not, you know, and people come to me all the time and go, I just, you know, I just, I want to be really happy for my partner. And I'm like, can we maybe, maybe look for like feeling neutral? Mm -hmm. Start there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because it's like a really good goal, but if you haven't ever experienced it, how do you even know if you're getting there? Right, right. And yeah. a lot of people do not like the concept of compersion because it feels like pressure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I have to be happy for this thing that maybe doesn't feel good for me. Yes, exactly. And Ooh. if I don't experience it, that means I'm not poly enough or I'm not, yeah. you know, evolved enough. Oh, oh, that's the worst. <laughs> that is the worst. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I think that's why, you know, making that distinction between, you know, an attitude of compersion and mm. an emotional embodied experience of compersion is so important because yeah. that emotional embodied experience, it's not necessary. 
it's a bonus in my opinion to you know it's like the cherry on top of like oh yeah great i get free joy out of you having joy but yeah sometimes just getting to neutrality is heroic in itself and it can actually blend with like an attitude of like yeah i want to support you i want to be happy for you yeah. and that is really different than feeling entitled to your jealousy and feeling like ah i'm actually not wanting to be happy for you here because i'm so attached to my pain and to my deprivation yes 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 totally totally it's like uh it's like i can wanting wanting to want to feel good Mm, (laughs) yes Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge step. I I will also say that there are situations where maybe compersion is not the answer or it's not even the appropriate response. Oh, yeah. When there's less than healthy dynamics, when there's things being hidden, when there's people getting excluded, you know, like there's a lot of different circumstances where maybe someone will get almost pressured by their partner to feel compersion, but really the dynamic is not loving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so almost like it's used as um, like a, like a weapon or a manipulative tool of like, well, if you're not feeling compersion, compersion for me, then do you even care about me? What do you, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I see Mm. that a lot in my coaching practice, like people coming to me and saying like, hey, I really want to feel compersion, you know, but my partner uh, has opened a relationship and now they're out every night and they're not giving me anything anymore. Or, you know, like I can paint an extreme caricature situation, but yeah, it happens all the time. And, you know, like there has to be love. There has to be needs being met. There has to be a lot of things in place for compersion to flourish. I can't just tell people like, oh yeah, take this pill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's, that's so good to hear because I think that uh, a lot of people, you know, especially people that are opening up a relationship or just delving into the world of non-monogamy and they hear this word compersion and they're like, that's what I want. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. And kind of like, forget that there's all these steps before that, like being in a healthy relationship and, uh, and feeling secure enough to feel compersion. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. Um what what I had a question. I lost it. It'll oh, come back to me. It will. It will. <laughs> I I wonder what would you say are what would you say are the biggest like challenges or blockages that get in the way of not just feeling compersion, but just in, in feeling stable enough or secure enough to experience compersion in, in a non-monogamous relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's actually really what I found in my research is what are the factors that promote compersion and what are the factors that block compersion? And there's three categories, really. There's the individual factors, there's relational factors, and there's social factors. And, you know, within the individual factors, two of the main blocks are, A, not being on board with non-monogamy, 
mm-hmm. just not being on board with the ideology, with how it's supposed to look. And that is kind of like the mental piece, because a lot of people, they call themselves poly under duress, P-U-D. Oh, poly <laughs> under duress. I have not heard that one, but I like it. Yeah, like that's when you're dragged into poly by someone else, but you're kind of reluctantly accepting to try it. You don't want to lose your partner, but you're not really on board. You don't really want non-monogamy for yourself. It's definitely not your first choice. Yeah, yeah. In the swinger community, they would call that taking one for the team. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Good one. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So that's definitely a blocker of compersion. Yeah. Because if you're not fully on board, then, you know, like, how will you share somebody else's joy? It's going to be a lot more far away. Yeah. As a possibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Number two is feeling a lack of security within oneself. So Mm. if someone has, you know, like deep insecurities that they haven't, you know, fully integrated, it might be harder to then see a partner going and getting pleasure with someone else or harder to really emotionally get on board with that and feel included and feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when people start comparing themselves a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. A lot more prey to comparison and negative thinking and fear. Yeah. Um, And within that also, I would include self-care because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of folks who will say like, I can get, um, to a compersive state, if I have had a good night of sleep, if I've eaten well, if I feel great in my body, if I have money in the bank account, I will get myself there versus if I feel personally depleted and my individual needs are not met, it's going to be a lot harder to feel like I have something to give. Oh, you know, I always tell people that's, that's, I often work on the other side, like battling jealousy. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, treat yourself like a toddler. Like, what, you know, when a toddler is throwing a fit, well, have they slept? Have they eaten? Mm. Do, are they sick? Do they need care? Do they need love and attention? Cuddles? You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what are your basic care needs that you need before you can like even ha- handle the emotional needs? Right. That is yeah. such a good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> treat yourself like a toddler. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And then moving on to the relational factors, there's a block that is very common is just a lack of security within the relationship. If you feel like your relationship is not fully stable and the love is not flowing, you're not getting your needs met within the relationship, then it's going to be a lot harder to embrace the fact that, hey, they're taking something away from your plate and giving it to someone else. Yeah. It's going to feel like there's not enough to go around. Oh, that's so good. Mm -hmm. And then there's how you feel about your metamors. Metamors being your partner's other partner. And that actually might be the single most impactful factor. Um, Another researcher found that to be the case, you know, that this is what is the most impactful thing is if you feel like your metamor is bringing something to the table without being a threat Mm -hmm. so you know someone that you can respect and maybe even like you know reflects really well on you and your partner and you feel good about them you feel like 
this is someone I actually like, but they're not about to take away my partner. They're not threatening my relationship. That's the best case scenario. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Alicia here. You know, the voice you've been tuning into episode after episode. Today, I'm popping in with an invitation that's really close to my heart. Behind the scenes, I've been crafting something special just for you, my dedicated listeners. If there's a voice inside you that's seeking guidance on navigating the realms of relationships and non-monogamy, um, wanting to like boost your confidence and find that unwavering sense of security, or you're struggling to manage the tricky waters of jealousy... I'm here to offer my support. I've cleared my schedule to open up 50 slots this month for free one-on-one clarity chats directly with me. So this is your opportunity to dive deep into those pressing questions and come out on the other side with newfound clarity and direction. The availability on this is super limited and these spots are going to fill up really fast. So don't miss your chance to connect with me. Head over to my website, aliciapayne.com right now. Go secure your spot because together we can uncover a path to a more joyful, fulfilling, and easy non-monogamous journey. Talk to you soon. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, I wonder how much, okay, I often wonder how much of uh, people's opinions of their metamors is like not wanting to like them. Mm-hmm. versus actually seeing problems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right like I just don't want to like this person so I'm gonna see all the negative <laughs> right 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 like when when envy or jealousy and comparison and competition get involved yes it definitely can blur our vision yeah it's like oh yeah that person got promoted over me oh now let me analyze their issues <laughs> yep Yep. (laughs) We wouldn't do that if someone was not really a threat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So there's, you know, it's hard to really like map it out because there's so many interacting factors there. Yeah. And because, you know, if your metamor is going to send you flowers while they're on a date with your partner and make a really big effort to connect with you and make you feel appreciated and make you feel like, Hey, I really support your relationship. Like compersion goes both ways too. Yeah. Yeah. If your metamor has compersion for your relationship with your partner, it's going to be a lot easier to have compersion for them. There's a feedback loop happening there. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. In my own experiences, I've found that to be true when, when my metamors are like concerned about how I'm feeling and concerned about Mm -hmm. maybe overstepping, um, you know, with, with scheduling or with, uh, just, you know, I don't know, birthdays or holidays or, you know, when they're like, Hey, I'd like your buy-in on this as well. Mm -hmm. That feels so good. Yeah. 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 Then they're not you know, as likely to be seen as a threat. They're like, oh gosh, this person cares about me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. Would you say that compersion is um, a practice? Mm, Yes and no. Um, I think it can be practiced as an attitude, as, you know, like practicing filling your cup in all of these different ways, you know, relational, individual, social, which I'm going to get to in a minute. 
um, so practicing giving yourself, you know, individually and relationally a really fertile terrain for it. Mm. But I don't think that um, we can really invoke it out of thin air. Right. I mean, we can, you know, change our thoughts like anything else. You know, it's like, well, you know, like there's things like gratitude. Yes, we can practice gratitude by remembering something that we're grateful for. Yeah. And and yet, sometimes, you know, like actually making sure that we have what we need is also very likely to affect our sense of gratitude for our lives. So I think it's both and, you know, like the mental and embodied practice of like, yes, I actually want to feel more of this and I'm, you know, practicing it. But also I'm giving myself a lot of reasons to feel that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I like that. And actually, to that note, the third relational factor is gratitude for the benefits received from your partners other relationships. So Mm -hmm. when you can identify things that you benefit from, like whether it's, oh, wow, my metamor is so cool. And now I have a new friend or my partner is getting their needs met somewhere else. And I don't have to feel the pressure of meeting all of their needs. Yeah. Or, wow, my partner is growing and learning things that are now benefiting our relationship. So great. I'm getting a better version of my partner because they're dating this other person. Or just like, I'm so grateful because I get to live the life that feels congruent with who I am. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. These are all kinds of benefits that can be perceived as like, wow, like, this is adding to my plate and this is adding to our plate. And therefore I am compulsive about this. Yeah. I'm interpreting this as a positive event. I'm feeling good about it. Gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and, and I, I think, um, intentionally creating that like appreciation, maybe making a list or maybe, you know, like going, yes. what are the things that I can appreciate about this? Mm-hmm. Especially when people get caught up, it's so easy to get caught up in the negative and the things that aren't working that mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it does sometimes take a lot of uh, like like actual effort to find the things to be appreciative of. But then when you wow. do, it's like, oh, shit, it was there all along. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I agree. That's the practice part is like, yeah, remembering the positive, building the positive voice. And, you know, we do live in such a mononormative culture, you know, where the world will remind us that monogamy is good and non-monogamy is bad. And so we have to practice, you know, cultivating the positive voice. And that leads me to the social factor that promotes or blocks compersion. And that's like community, being surrounded by people who will support your identity, your lifestyle, your way of conducting your relationships as a non-monogamous person is going to promote compersion because it helps alleviate some of the negative messaging that you might have internalized around Mm non-monogamy. So that kind of connects back to the first, you know, like being mentally on board thing and, you know, a block to that being like not being on board. And sometimes, you know, we're partially on board. We're like, yes, I'm choosing this, but gosh, what is my mom going to think? Or what would my 
you know, uncle think, or, you know, like we still have those negative voices of anti, anti polyamory internalized within us, even if we don't want to. So that is also a practice of getting ourselves in alignment, you know, between what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and deconstructing past conditioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your community is so important. I remember I I have always been a hundred percent on board, not always, but since I chose to to live non-monogamously, I was like, this is something I want. Mm-hmm. And there was so much that I needed to un- unwind and decondition. And I remember like if I would vent to my friends, mm. like they were like, yeah, we're we're supportive of you, but they'd be like, I don't understand. Why is he doing that? Or why are they doing that? And and so then instead of getting to like just vent about a relationship thing, now I was having to like teach and mm-hmm. and defend and go, no, he's not actually doing something wrong. I agreed to this. I'm just still having feelings that are from a lifetime of living monogamously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and being able to talk to people who also have experienced that made me feel like, oh, okay, I am, I'm not weird. This is normal. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Whew. Yeah, it makes such a difference. Uh huh. It really does. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people who come, you know, to me as a coach who are just starting to explore non-monogamy, that's one of the first thing I tell them is like, join a community, yeah. find people to talk to about this. Like, I don't want to be the only single person that you talk to about this who will accept you. Like, you need more. Yeah, you need yeah. spaces of safety in your world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I remember trying, like I had read about compersion, mm-hmm. kind of understood the concept, but was like, have I ever experienced it? Like, would I even know what that feels like? Mm-hmm. And somebody pointed out to me and I don't remember who, but somebody pointed out to me um, when I get excited for my kids, like when my kids are happy about something, mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, heck yeah, that is amazing for you. Like I like that embodied feeling of compersion. And mm-hmm. that was when I went, oh, it is something I'm capable of. It's a right. feeling I'm capable of. And mm-hmm. then I was able to like translate it into my romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that's why it's so important to have a word for it. Because yeah. it makes us realize like, oh, yeah, like I, I kind of know what that is. I know what that is. Yeah. yeah. Like you yeah. watch maybe like a kid open a gift in front of you. They're so happy. And, you know, you're not trying to get that gift away from them. You're just like, wow, I want to share that joy. It's a beautiful moment. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. Your best friend gets a promotion or, you know, falls in love. And it doesn't take anything away from you. You're just so happy to share their joy. And you feel like it's a good thing for the universe or it's a good thing for them. And it's a good thing for, you know, you're just really on board with that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love being able to share those, those things that people can go, Oh, it's not this weird thing. That's only related to a non-monogamous relationship. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, compersion should be in the dictionary for that reason. You know, we should all be familiar with that emotion. The more we have access to those words to describe our emotions, the more we're likely to experience them. It's really funny when I, whenever I'm writing like a blog post or uh, a podcast summary or something, 
Compersion is the only word that always has the little red squiggly line under it. <laughs> like, don't you of... mean something else? <laughs> Compression? No. Yeah. Computation? No. Nope. <laughs> That's <Yes>. fun. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh my gosh. A whole 500 pages of dissertation with little red dots underneath. Yep. That's uh -huh. like, that is really what I mean. I do mean compersion. I want to train Google to understand this word. <laughs> right? I actually emailed the Merriam-Webster dictionary two times to ask them to include compersion in the dictionary. And both times they responded saying like, no, not yet. It's not widely used enough. So next year. Next time. <laughs> next year. Yeah, I think it's coming. It's yeah, inevitable. Yeah. We're doing it right here. Everybody yes. who's listening to this podcast is now mm -hmm. going to start using that word and then the dictionary is going to include it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, have you have you um found compersion to to come easy to you, like always? Like, did you have to figure out what that feeling was? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think it came easy to me in so many life circumstances in, you know, like my friendships, my colleagues, work relationships, all of that. And in my romantic relationships, I just think it was very, very circumstantial. Mm -hmm. And that's what also kind of led me on the path of, you know, like looking at, well, what are the contexts that promote it or not? Because yes, I mean, in some cases, I would be a full like, yes, please go be with someone else. I mean, pick someone I like, pick someone right. nice, <laughs> Have not just taste. anyone. <laughs> but you know, there was no fear, there was no qualms about it. It just felt really like green light. Yeah. And in some other circumstances, it just felt wrong, or, you know, like the the context, the person they would be with, the way that they would communicate about it. There was no compersion mm -hmm. there. I just mm -hmm. didn't feel included. I just didn't feel respected. I didn't feel safe. So I, and I know kind of like the space in between too, where you're like, okay, well, this is fine. I agree to this. It is ultimately safe, but it doesn't feel totally amazing. Yeah. So it just is, you know, yeah, it's like, oh, it's okay. I just have to kind of, deal with this new sensation in my belly that's like oh okay like I, what's happening what does it mean like having to also learn to interpret our emotions and our experiences like outside of the normal categories yeah yeah oh so, <laughs> i can feel that in my belly <laughs> yeah, it's like oh it's like a tingling i'm a little bit uneasy but what does that mean is there anything actually wrong happening or not and sometimes it's a matter of repetition you know and that's something else that came you know in my life but also in my research people saying like well yeah like it takes time you know it takes maybe like several weeks months years of my partner being with someone else and then coming back to me and things being normal and okay for to train my nervous system yeah that yeah. this is fine that this is yeah. safe they came back i didn't die Mm -hmm. Okay, we're mm -hmm. fine. <laughs> okay, yeah. Next time is easier. Next time is easier. Yeah. It's like yeah. the new normal. Yeah, yeah. Especially especially coming from uh, monogamy and, and everything our culture says. Like, just being able to dive in and be like, it's totally fine. 
mm-hmm. that's that's probably not it probably doesn't come that easy to everybody. Yeah, no, it's a paradigm shift yeah. for most people. And yeah. it's not it's not easy. It's not easy to kind of re boot in a way like everything you've been taught about love mm. and about sex. It's yeah. a really big shift. Ooh, that oh, that's really good. Okay, I'm curious. Um love and sex, right? For some people emote like having creating an emotional connection, their their partner creating an emotional connection with someone, totally fine, doesn't send off any any big signals but the sex does. And mm-hmm. for other people, the sex totally fine, but the emotions feel threatening. Right. What, what is going on there? Yeah, it's a super good question. And if you talk to a evolutionary biologist, they would probably make the argument that for women, um, you know, a male partner having an emotional connection with another woman is more threatening Versus yeah. a, for a man, you know, uh, you know, a female partner having sex with another man is more threatening because of evolutionary factors. Like, you know, for the man, he'll be more threatened if he ends up raising another man's progeny. Uh-huh. Like there's this whole paternity certainty argument. And uh-huh. then for women, it would be more risky to lose the affection and the protection of her man if he forms an emotional bond with someone else you know which comes back to the whole like sperm is cheap and eggs are expensive (laughs) brilliant (laughs) yeah that said i haven't found it to be always true in practice Mm -mm. sometimes it's kind of the other way around you know like I know a lot of men um, who are fine if their woman is going to have sex with anyone but if she forms an emotional bond that is what threatens them yeah yeah so there's no you know scientific answer to that Uh, more I think at the individual and biographical level, how a person was raised to think about love and what feels maybe like this more scarce resource for them. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like love and affection feels a lot more scarce than sex. And that's the thing that people have learned to think about, like, oh, this is really the thing you reserve for one person. Yeah, and hold on to it. Right. And if you, you know, feel that for someone else, it means that the first feeling with this other person was not true or Mm. is not real anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of just like conditioned beliefs around this. Yeah. You know, even, oh my gosh, like you watch a show like The Bachelor or those other like dating shows. Mm -hmm. I think increasingly people, you know, like, I mean, those, those TV shows are showing people having sex with a lot of people, but then the ultimate goal being, I'm going to form an emotional connection with one person. And that really can't coexist with an emotional with someone else. I feel like our culture is starting to broaden its understanding that sex is not, you know, meant to be exclusive, but love is still the staying on a pedestal that you reserve for their one. Oh yeah. It's like, it's like the, when people say I've never felt this before, mm-hmm. yeah. which for some reason means that every time I felt love before it was inferior to what I'm feeling now, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I don't think is true. 
Yeah, but we yeah. have to have like it has to be you have to pick the best one always and keep mm-hmm. going to the next best one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, like every connection is going to be unique and not yeah. every love connection is going to lead to life partnership or life partnership being a good idea. Sometimes we tend yeah. to conflate, you know, oh, I'm feeling so much love for you. And that means we should spend our lives together and merge finances and have babies like no, like these things are quite different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chemistry doesn't doesn't necessarily <laughs> equal compatibility. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that this chemistry is not good or real or powerful and potentially life-changing. Like yeah. it doesn't mean it's inferior. Yeah. But again, like we put certain types of relationships on a pedestal, like the ones yeah. that are, you know, entangled, official, legally bounded as 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 long lasting as possible yeah yeah oh it's also fascinating relationships are just in general just the whole everything about relationships is so fascinating and it's like Mm -hmm. i feel like we can never reach the the bottom or the top of Mm -hmm. of what is possible to know right like we can never just know everything there's, a, there's just more. And I think it's constantly evolving. And it's just, it's fascinating. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And we're constantly evolving. We're constantly changing. So the kind of relationships we have are never, you know, they're, they can never really be stagnant. I mean, right. even when we try to make them stagnant and stable and kind of like in a little box, that's just not how it works. Yeah. Like Esther Perel says, um, most of us are going to be, you know, in at least three main, really big long-term relationships in the course of our lives. And some of us are going to do that with the same person. Uh-huh. But it's going to be still like iterations of of a relationship. It's not going to be the same relationship. Like we're bound to change and reorganize and kind of recommit if we're going to be with someone over time. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I love that. She's brilliant. Mm -hmm. what uh what advice would you give someone who is um struggling with you know like jealousy or insecurity or wanting to feel compersion and is struggling with that what what advice would you give them well first i would do an inventory of themselves and their relationship and their social environment and I actually have a little spreadsheet that you can download for free on my website, whatiscompersion.com. It's a little ebook that goes through those factors. And then like there's a little spreadsheet that um, allows people to identify where they feel the strongest and where yeah. they feel the weakest. Oh, so <clears throat> I think identifying the bottlenecks in your life and in your relationships where you know, love doesn't totally flow, you know, whether it's for yourself or for your partner and between you and your metamors and, you know, where is it that things are not really flowing? And then address those bottlenecks, whether Mm. it's, you know, individually in therapy with coaching or, you know, using different tools that you can, like if it's an individual thing, like, oh my gosh, I'm not totally on board. And I feel like I have a lot of monogamous conditioning like maybe you know like to read more and really cultivate your ideas of what your values should be um if it's more of like a personal insecurities maybe you need to work you know through that with a therapist or doing healing work and if it's relational then you know having relational solutions 
So that's that's what I would say. It's just like identify where the bottlenecks is. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's so good. I think um it's too easy to try to choose non like like to to pin non-monogamy to the wall and go, that's why we're having a problem mm-hmm. when really it's, you know, a relational problem or just an internal, uh, you know, my relationship wounds problem or uh, just how you're being treated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. People don't always treat each other well, unfortunately. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's the bottleneck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't need therapy. You just need to have, you know, a better relationship. And sometimes non-monogamy does bring things under surface that were there, but they were just not being expressed within the context mm-hmm. of monogamy. So mm-hmm. it's it's normal that problems will show up when you try to transition your relationship from one paradigm to the other. It doesn't mean your relationship is doomed. It doesn't mean non-monogamy is at fault. But yes, you'll have to probably address some of, you know, previously dormant relationship issues and personal issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to share with the listeners? Ooh, good question. You're asking really good questions, by the way. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. Well. A couple of unusual um, research findings that I think are super important also to add to this, yeah. you know, mix on compersion is that compersion is not an on or off switch. It's really important for people to know. Is it a dimmer? Yeah, it's a spectrum. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, you have it or you don't. It's usually more like, well, you have it sometimes and you don't sometimes. And that is totally okay. Mm. I lo- You know, it's funny whenever somebody tells me, well, I don't experience jealousy. Mm. My response is you just haven't had anything trigger jealousy. You mm-hmm. haven't had a reason to experience jealousy. It doesn't mean you're not capable of it or that it won't ex- ever exist in your emotional world. Mm-hmm. Same with compersion. Right. Just because you haven't doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Like you're not dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> you got time. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that's important to know is you can experience compersion and jealousy at the same time. And sometimes they'll be located in different parts of your body. You know, like some people say like, yeah, I I might feel jealousy in my gut. Like there's something that is still like not used to this new paradigm. But in my mind, I feel compersive. Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. I I think compersively rather. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also. I experience that a lot. Oh, really? Yes, a lot, actually, because it, like I said, I've always just felt very, very jealous and it's took, taken a long time to move away from that. And so now I can absolutely recognize like I'm excited for you. And I'm also like, I'm so envious about where you're going. And I really wish I was doing that thing. And I, I like it feels it's visceral, like in my body, like I'm feeling this, like I want to be doing that. And yeah. I'm excited that you're doing it, too. Yeah, I don't want to take that away from you, but like, I really want to be a part of it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, wanting to feel included. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's one of the main distinctions, you know, between jealousy and compersion, you know, like jealousy oftentimes happens when we feel excluded Mm -hmm. and inclusion leads to compersion. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever we can do to create that sense of inclusion, like, yeah, we're all on the same team. Oh gosh. You know, my poor husband, he has four partners and (laughs) he, he gets this a lot with like movies, movies Mm. and TV shows. He Mm -hmm. watches the same movies and TV shows so often because he has partners that are like, but I wanted to watch that. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) Poor thing. Yeah, it's a nice light easy one (laughs) yeah yeah that's like okay it's not a huge (laughs) obstacle yes right i've seen worse yeah (laughs) to watch the same tv show four times okay as long as he has the time right that's what you want to do great (laughs) but i'm curious if you would like to share like what do you feel helped you you know you know you said it took you like five years or so to feel it like what do you think happened in that time frame that allowed you to feel conversion So first was being able to identify my jealousy and like recognize Mm -hmm. what emotions I was feeling and kind of what they were attached to. For me personally, it was a lot of, um, you know, like deep insecurity and and wounds around like being chosen and um, being included. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I was able to recognize, I remember specifically one one event where I walked, I walked in my my. uh, I, I am in, I have a triad and my husband and our girlfriend were in the bed and they were inviting me, but I felt like so deep in my body. Like I was not included. I wasn't wanted. And it, it, I was like, what is going on? Like I was trying to figure it out. And I was like, this feels just like when I was 11 years old and mm. my three best friends were all having a sleepover that I wasn't invited to. Mm. Like, and I remember just I'm not loved. I'm not wanted. They don't care about me anymore. You know, and it turns out like maybe one of their parents said, you can have two kids over. You can't have three kids Mm -hmm. over. It's too many. I can't deal with it. Now as a parent, Mm -hmm. I understand that. And as an 11 year old little girl, I was just devastated. And it was the same feeling. I walk into my bedroom and there are my partners having a sleepover without me. And, And so when I was able to find like where these feelings connected like, like what, what am I really upset about? Am I upset about these two people that both clearly love me and both like said, Hey, you're invited. Come join us. Mm-hmm, Is that really mm-hmm. what I'm upset about? Or am I like, what, what's deeper here? Mm-hmm. And so when I was able to start, start uncovering those things, mm-hmm. it became a lot easier to then start to shift to, and I can also feel excited that you guys are having this, you're having this experience. You're both so happy. You're laughing and smiling and giggling and going, Hey, come play with us. Mm-hmm. And even though I was feeling that like feeling, mm-hmm. I also was going, and I'm, I'm excited for you too. I don't want to take that away from you. And mm-hmm. so it was just this like, like a slow building, like, like stacking the bricks on top of each other of having these experiences that were, went from okay, fine to good, to happy, to like, it just, it slowly grew. Mm. yeah that's so cool I got chills when you're talking about (laughs) that sleepover oh yeah I mean it just and I've I've found that that kind of like many many of the these um my my, like jealous and possessive feelings I can I can pinpoint most of them back to being like a preteen in those in those 
years where I was really learning how to form relationships outside of my caretakers, outside mm-hmm. of my family, right? Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how to, how to form relationships, how to maintain those relationships, how to socialize, like all of those things, you know, things where you're getting bullied or, you know, mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. crushes on 27 different boys that mm-hmm. I could go through my, my diaries and see, like, I was in love every other week with a different boy. Like, <laughs> that I probably never even talked to. Right. 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 <laughs> Which hmm, maybe I was always Polly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just had to pick the next best one. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I think on top of that, then I got into um, my, like, there was my husband, my girlfriend. And, and then I started another relationship um, with a man who has two other partners. And so mm-hmm having the experience of being on the other side of that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right. Being the metamor outside of the, the home, um, right. and, and putting effort and attention into building relationships with my metamors and being conscientious of their relationship and how everybody was feeling that added another layer of my ability mm. to experience compersion and like, mm. like a different lens or a different, uh, facet of it. Yes, yes, that, like yes, made yes. it more well-rounded. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, being able to see the world from someone else's perspective is kind of the first step of empathy, which is the first yeah. step of compersion. Yes, 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 yes. Like instead of like I see it, I actually could feel it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Absolutely, it's a whole different neurological network. Actually, yeah. like when you're actually feeling what someone else feels versus imagining what yeah. someone else feels. And they're so both, different. you know, legitimate, but yeah, like it's a lot deeper when you can actually be like, oh, I feel what you feel. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's totally. so cool. Thank you for Thank sharing you for that. Asking. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, like it makes me think of um, mudita, which is the Buddhist term for compersion. It's a Sanskrit word. And, you know, they don't talk about sexuality in Buddhism, but they talk about this ability to have empathic joy. And that being one of the four qualities of the enlightened person, Hmm. along with equanimity, compassion, and loving kindness. But they say that actually empathic joy is the hardest one of the four to achieve because we have so many blocks and we have this sense of being separate, you know, like this quote-unquote illusion of separation and this illusion of living in a zero-sum game kind of world and at the spiritual level knowing that we're all one ultimately that you know more for you is more for me it's not less for me but it's a jump it's a jump for us to you know actually get there and get to that space where yeah like I actually do think that even if I I'm sitting over here and you guys are on the bed having fun. Like I can still rejoice in your joy, even if I'm not like right there getting all the attention. Yeah. Oh, it is. I love that you said it's a jump. It feels does. It feels like a leap of faith, especially if yeah. you haven't experienced it. Like, okay, I'm going to let go of this um, fear, jealousy, insecurity, you know, whatever the thing is, this negative feeling, this dark feeling I'm just going to let go of it and see what happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Am I going to feel something good on the other side if I if I make this leap? Mm-hmm. And then when you do, it's like, oh, shit, I can do that and I'll survive. <laughs> cool. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So good. (laughs) Oh, I know. It's mysterious. I feel like there's still a part of, you know, this experience and this phenomenon that I don't have the words to describe. And I am not fully, you know, like I can't say like, oh, I understand exactly everything about compersion. Like, yes, I did some research about it and I can talk about it, but there's still an element of mystery to it for me. Oh, yeah, that's fun. There's so much to learn. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. I have, um, one more question for you. And this Mm -hmm. question, um, won't be on the main podcast. I hold this aside for supporters of the show Mm -hmm. on our Patreon at patreon.com slash not monogamous. And it is called just the tip. And it is, what is your favorite or best sex tip? That's really good. Oh, I love that. What, um, how can people find you? Yay. So I have two websites. My compersion centric website is what is compersion.com. And people can read all of my research on compersion. There's also a great list of resources on the topic, articles, books, etc. And there is a page, you know, that talks about my coaching. Um, so you can contact me there and get a free 30-minute introductory session. And if you're really just more interested in dating coaching, I also have a website called loveinsight-dating.com, where I talk more about dating specifically for people who are monogamous or non-monogamous or somewhere in between. And finally, I'm at um, Love Insight Dating on Instagram. It's actually love underscore insight underscore dating. So follow me on Instagram. I put a lot of good stuff out there. Perfect. I love that. And I'll put all of that in the show notes so people can, you know, click links and and do all that fancy stuff. (laughs) I know. Thank you so much. This has been fun. Yay. It's so fun to meet you. Finally. Thank you so much for inviting me here. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That was Marie Tuin from whatiscompersion.com sharing her just the tip special behind the scenes content just for supporters of the show on Patreon. Go check it out. You can hear that sexy little bit. And also you can join me every single month for a Q and a group coaching call where you can ask all of your questions about relationships, sex, non-monogamy, the universe, whatever you want to talk about. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. It would mean the world to me personally and would help us keep this little podcast going if you would subscribe, leave a review, or share this episode with your friends. For more personalized support with your own relationships, we can work together on a one-to-one basis. Just visit my website at aliciapain.com and schedule a free call to chat about life, the universe, and your relationships. Bye.